1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Last week we looked at verses 1 to 6, where we saw three qualities of an honorable wife. Three qualities of an honorable wife. We saw winsome submission, spiritual beauty, and robust faith. Winsome submission, spiritual beauty, and robust faith. And if you, uh, if you were not here, as uh, I think five or six or seven families weren't, I encourage you to go online and listen to that message. I followed up that message with uh, an email and on a blog post to try to catch some of the stuff that I didn't talk about. So you can check it also uh, online on our, on our pastoral blog. By the way, Phil and I have been blogging about once or twice a week on our website. So if you don't regularly go to our website, visit it. Try to visit it maybe on Thursdays. Because by that time, normally in the last few weeks, both Phil and I have put up a post. And so we try to make it both relevant and helpful to, uh, to the life of our, our church. Okay, with that being said, let's look at chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, this morning's message is directed to the men, and that should be obvious from what the verse actually says. All right? And it's for the benefit of everyone, though. Ladies, if you are married, it is for your benefit. Ladies, if you are unmarried, it is for your benefit. Children, this message is also for your benefit. But just as the text is directed to the men, this sermon is going to be essentially directed to, to the men. Okay, so um, as I'm speaking and I'm using the word you uh, throughout this message, it's going to be very closely tied to you men, to you males, to you, in particular to you husbands and you husbands-to-be. But the first thing I want to do, and I know a lot of you take notes, I want to give you um, three, three ways in which the husband and wife relationship is normally worked out in the context of marriage. But th this is not the body of the sermon. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. But um, I want to give you three ways in which uh, the husband-wife relationship is, is worked out normally in the Christian circles. Now I'll go ahead and give you the three words. Authoritarianism. Authoritarianism egalitarianism and complementarianism i wish i could make those words shorter for you okay all right authoritarianism egalitarianism and complementarianism all right and i think you probably know what authoritarianism is but the way it kind of operates within the church circles is that is that people believe that men and women are created equal in god's sight all right and that there is to be a, a relationship in which, um, you know, the, the husband is to um, be an authority over the wife. The wife is to be in loving submission to her husband. And, and um, equality and all of that is affirmed. But the way that it's fleshed out in marriage is that the, the man more or less suppresses his wife, dominates his wife, acts as a tyrant over his wife, and is basically the boss. Okay? That's authoritarianism. That happens in the church. Okay? The second thing is egalitarianism, which basically means equality. All right, egalitarians in the, in the church and, 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 and are mostly kind of what we would consider more uh, liberally leaned within the church 
are those who would say, oh, we're equal in Christ. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither male nor female, there is neither uh, slave nor free, we're all equal. But equality turns into uniformity. Equality turns into blurring all the distinctive roles and distinctions that both men have and women have. Okay, That's the egalitarian view such that such that there's really no difference between the man's role and the woman's role. And that they're both basically the same, and one does this and another does that, and sometimes they both do the same thing. Sometimes the man leads, sometimes the woman leads. Sometimes the man serves, sometimes the woman serves, and, and, it, and it goes uh, like that. We would subscribe to the latter, complementarianism, okay? Complementarianism. And when you write that down, complementarianism, it's not C-O-M-P-L-I-M-E-N-T, as if we are offering one another compliments. It's C-O-M-P-L-E, complement. In other words, we complete one another. We complete one another. We make one another whole. And so in complementarianism, we believe in human equality, but we don't believe in uniformity. We don't believe in sameness, okay? Uh, Men and women are equal. Husbands and wives are equal without a doubt, but there is distinction in the roles, Okay, a husband is called to lovingly lead his wife sacrificially in a way that his wife enjoys loving and serving and submitting to his humble leadership of her. That's the way that the Bible paints the picture of the man-woman relationship in marriage. She's protected, she's comforted, she's equipped by his leadership, and then he is also affirmed and honored as her head and as her leader, and they enjoy delighting one another in that way now this is the biggest problem in a church like ours in churches that kind of we we believe the same things we love the gospel we 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 love um everything about what god has said in the gospel and and how it's supposed to be played out but listen we're complementarian in our theology we're complementarian in our doctrine We believe in equality, but we also believe in role distinctions. But because men are who they are, we're either authoritarian or egalitarian in our function. Y'all following with me? You tracking? So in other words, oh, I affirm male headship. I affirm male leadership. I affirm loving sacrifice for, for the man toward the wife. I affirm that she's to lovingly submit to him. I affirm that that's a beautiful picture. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But when you get home, you're a dictator. Or when you get home, you sit on the couch and say, hey, could you get me the chips? Okay, so so functionally you're different than you are uh, in your theology. That's a problem. And I think that Peter's speaking to that very clearly in verse 7. Okay, so so I want to give you this one thing, men, here. Um, If you're going to be complementarian, if you're going to be complementarian, then be complementarian. Does that make sense? Adam, you tracking with me there? All right. If you're going to be that way, then actually be that way. So in order to be true complementarian in your relationship as husband toward your wife, I want, there are four things I want you to know. All right. So this is going to be your outline for the day. This is your outline. Men, these are four things you need to know. You need to know your identity. You need to know your responsibility. You need to know your wife, and you need to know your God. You need to know your identity, your responsibility, 
You need to know your wife, and you need to know your God. The first one, know your identity. So, come from the very first word in the verse, husbands. I looked up husband in the dictionary. A husband is a man who's married to a wife. <laughs> All right, that's what a husband is. Now, I will say that may change here in the next few years. They may have to add uh, to that uh, to reflect our culture, but that's what the definition is today. Now, that's also the way that the, the Lord would define it as well. Now, in that pamphlet I gave out to you guys about three or four weeks ago on marriage, we define marriage, that is, the leaders of ABC, Grace Fellowship, Redeemer Church, we define marriage as a lifelong covenant between one man and one woman, which is ordained by the Creator and Savior of the world. That's the picture of marriage. There are, men, some things that should mark your identity as a husband. All right? And, and I want to give you those marks of, the, of, of your identity. All right? The first mark as an identity for you as a husband is that you have left your mother and your father and you have joined to your wife. You've left your mother and father and you have joined to your wife. Genesis 2, 24 says that a man shall leave his mom and his dad, all right? And the two shall become one flesh, all right? They shall be joined together and they shall enjoy life together from that point. And I think that, that in, in some ways, men are prone never to leave their mom and dad. In some ways, they're, they're just always going to be connected in some way to their parents more than they are to the actual wife. And this spells disaster. Not just for a little while, but year after year after year in marriage. And in a lot of ways, it spells disasters because the wife thinks and feels like she plays second fiddle to the relationship that the husband has to his parents. That's the thing. Men should never dishonor their parents. It should never happen. Men should never forsake their parents, all right? But men should always make it clear that he has left his parents, he has joined himself to his wife, and if he ever had to make a decision between his parents or between his wife, he's choosing his wife every day and twice on Sunday. Does that make sense? All right, so that's part of your identity. Another part of your identity is that you have one wife and one wife only whom you love and cherish, all right? When, when men give their vows on wedding day, one of the phrases that they say is forsaking all others. When you make a decision to become a husband to your wife, that means you are taking every single individual woman on planet Earth out of the picture forever. It's you and her. She knows that. She feels that. She appreciates that. You have eyes for one woman. You have allegiance to one woman. You have affection for one woman. You have ambitions toward one woman. It is that wife whom you have joined together with. That's your identity. You have a position of authority and a leadership. We read the, the passages in Ephesians 5 where it says that the, the husband is the head of the wife. That word head, it means source. It, it means leader. It, it has a sense of authority in, in that you have a place, though you are no better than her, though you are no brighter than her, th though God has not given you greater grace than she has, you have a position of authority and leadership as a husband inherently. Now, some men would say, that's right. Amen. That's exactly right. Now, you've got to know this about your identity, too, though. You have a position of servanthood and sacrifice. 
servanthood and sacrifice. They, they come together. You don't get the leadership and you don't get the headship without the servanthood and the sacrifice. Okay? They come together. And so you are to be the lead servant and the lead person who sacrifices in the relationship. And I want to just follow that one up by saying you have the privilege of reflecting Christ's love for the church. You have that privilege. Man, I don't know if you've ever seen in your marriage that, that you have the highest honor, the greatest privilege that a person could ever have, and that is to reflect and mirror the very love of Jesus. The very, the very place of Jesus as a leading servant. So, husbands, you'll never know how to be who God has called you to be in your marriage until you see how Jesus is the perfect husband who's loved his church. And so last week, we actually turned back to Philippians chapter 2. We were making a point about, uh, about Jesus and how Jesus' character qualities um, can help a wife be motivated um, in, in her own character qualities and how um, her love for her husband can mirror the love for Jesus. But we can, we can see that too in Philippians 2 for men. All right, Jesus emptied himself. Remember that? It's called the kenosis, the self-emptying. All right, He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto, but rather he emptied himself and came as a servant and became in the form of a servant, in the form of a slave and loved the church and served the church and sacrificially gave to the church. He instructed the church. He cared for the church. He gave an example of how to live to the church. In all of these ways, he is serving as the head and the source and the servant leader of his church. And as men and as husbands, you and I are to do the same thing with our wives. We are to love, serve, empty ourselves out for her good, for her honor, for her blessing, all right? Now, I do want to make one note. You are not your wife's savior, all right? You, you are not to organize your family structure in such a way that your wife completely and utterly depends on you. She, she has to go through you in order to get to Christ. She has, you know, she has to wait until you... T- you know, say, you know, how high to jump before she does that. Listen, you, you would be a horrific savior. That place is already taken by Jesus himself, okay? All you're to do is to mirror the very love and servanthood and gracious authority that Jesus has done. You are to embody it. You're, to be, you're like to be a living portrait, a home video, a miniature video of how Jesus lived his life toward your wife, okay? You are a reflection and expression of the Savior's love. All right, so that's your identity. Your identity is to be a reflection of Christ and his love for the church. Number two, know your responsibility. Know your responsibility, man. Dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. And so you got some specific responsibilities, Peter said. The first responsibility that you have is to live with her. All right, dwell with them the verse says all right that greek word it literally means live with them all right live together in the same house with them all right it's a compound verb the the first word in that compound verb is house all right the second 
part of the compound word is live or dwell or make habitation with. Live in the same house with them. Why am I going on and on about that? It's because I think that men are prone to be, to be, oh, I'm independent, I'm autonomous, I, I, still want, I still want my life, I still want to be able to go and do as I please, to come home when I want to, to leave when I want to, you know, th- that kind of thing. We're prone to that. And Peter says, live with them, dwell with them. I was sitting uh, at a meeting this, this week with, uh, with a man who travels the southeast, and he does very well. Uh, professionally and he was telling me even though he covers these states he wasn't bragging by any means it just happened to come in conversation he says i try not to stay one night out a one night out hey and and he was telling me he actually gets up at 3 a.m sometimes and has to travel down to like panama city florida for a 9 30 meeting all right and he goes to his 9 30 meeting makes a couple of sales calls and he make it makes it back by 9 p.m now i'm not saying that you have to do that in order to show your your husband i'm just saying this is an example of a man who understands that to have a wife means to live with her and to prioritize being with her not trying to stay away from her as much as you can so your responsibility is to live with her second of your responsibility is to understand her you're to live with her with understanding the new king james says that word literally means according to knowledge with proficient understanding. Your responsibility, men, is to observe your wife, study your wife, know your wife, know her strengths, know her weaknesses, know know her fears and know, know her areas of confidence, know her weaknesses, know what she loves and know what she hates, know what know what brings her great anxiety and know what brings her great comfort, know what her emotional needs are, Know where she's really strong and you can affirm her in those areas. Live with intimacy with your wife such that you know her well. You know how to comfort her when she's struggling. You know how to help her when she's emotional. You know how to calm her down when she's angry. You know what areas she's struggling with the kids. You know what areas she feels a great sense of victory with her children. You know when it will bother her if you turn on the television. Or you know when it's just fine to turn on and say you want to watch a show. You know that about her because you study her and you observe her and you want to minister to her, but you understand her men. Make it your ambition to take a class in learning about your wife. All right? Your wife 101. Observer, learner, interpreter, understander. All right. And then your responsibility is to honor her. Look at what he says. He says, giving honor to the wife. Technically, it means to assign honor, to assign reverence. It means to esteem her, to value her. You're to honor her in your heart. You're to honor her with your lips. You're to honor her with your actions. I do want to make one technical note here. This verb is in the present tense. It means that day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out, decade in and decade out, you are in a lifestyle of honoring your wife. You esteem her. You lift her up. I want to to make this statement. There is no person on the earth that you should honor higher and greater than your wife. Now, I think the million-dollar question is how do you do that? How do you do it? Based on biblical principles, biblical imperatives, I want to 
I want to give you some very practical applications here, man. All right, if you're a note taker, take them down. If you're not a note taker, maybe listen to the sermon again online. But uh, I'm just going to shoot probably, I don't know, 10, 12 off to you instructions for you. All right, this is a way in which you honor, esteem, assign, assign reverence and respect to your bride. All right, first of all, express your love to her. Express your love and appreciation to her with your lips. All right, we're all familiar with the husband who said on his wedding day, honey, I love you, and if I ever change your mind, I'll let you know. All right, y'all heard that before, right? Yeah, well, that might be really funny, but he's a terrible husband. All right, okay, so we want to express our affection. We want to express our appreciation, all right? Find creative ways to do that. You know, uh, write her cards, send her post-it notes, send her flowers when you know she's at home and, and you're at work, send her text messages, Throughout the day, you know, when you get a, a break, man, if you've got a 9 o'clock break at 9.05, shoot her a text and let her know that you love her, you care for her, you're praying for her, all right? Find creative ways to express your appreciation and your love for her. So that'd be the kind of the first way to, to honor her. And then work hard to provide for her. Work hard, Right? There, there are men in this church who are doing that. There are men in this church who want to provide. They want to be a source of... of uh, a provision financially and protection in all those ways. So they're working not just one job, but two jobs. They're serving in a variety of kinds of ways in order to protect and provide for their wife, and that is a blessed thing, all right? I know I've mentioned this before, but I think there's a way in which you honor your wife by, by thinking about what life might be like for her after you die. You know, I've taken out a life insurance policy that's pretty large, why do I do that? Because if I die, I want my wife to be protected. I want her to be cared for. All right, that's a way to honor her. All right, take care, this third one, take care of important family responsibilities. I know things like draw up a will so that your kids are going to be protected if something were to happen and you were to die in a car crash. All right, you're looking at finances and making sure that things are, are square. I mean, you know, I, I remember Jamie was helping us a few years ago with our, our mortgage, and we ended up refinancing our house, and if we stay in it, it'll probably save us over $100,000 in payments over the life of the loan. I mean, that's, you need to take care of things like that. That's a way to honor your wife. Another way, relieve her of her duties whenever you can. Relieve her of her duties whenever you can. You come in from work, she's, she's standing at the, at the um, sink, and she's washing dishes, and she's obviously got a, had had a lot of things going, why don't you just step in and say, hey, why don't you go have a seat? Go get, get on the couch. Go call your sister. You know, go, go do this. You know, go, go take a bath. I'll take it from here. That's a simple way to honor your wife, all right? Lead her spiritually. Do not ignore this one, guys. Lead her spiritually. I had to write down in my notes here, the most important part of your wife's life is not you the most important part of your wife's life is not your kids the most important part of your wife's life is her relationship to god that's the most important part okay so don't have an overinflated view of your importance don't have an overinflated view of of her relationship to her kids you need to understand that she's a worshiper she is a co-heir of the grace of god she is a recipient of the love of god and you need to help her any way that you possibly can to facilitate a loving joyful liberated relationship with the god who saved her so don't abdicate your responsibility pray with her 
Open up the Bible and read the Scriptures with her. Talk about God to her. If God is teaching you something in your quiet time, talk to her about what He's teaching you. All right? Don't have a separated view of, of, your, of uh, your relationship with God with each other. Ha- have it synced up. All right? Spend quality time with your children. If you've got kids, spend quality time with them. Your wife loves your kids. She is completely invested in them. And so you're going to honor her if you take time to spend with them, care for them, take them out to the donut shop, take them out to the park, enjoy time, pour your life into them, and in that way you're honoring her. Listen to her. This is a big one. Listen to her with an undistracted ear and an engaged heart. Listen to her with an undistracted ear and an engaged heart. Ladies, have you ever felt like your husband was nodding his head and saying, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, and realizing that they're not listening to a word that you're saying? Yeah, you've all experienced that if you have a husband, all right? <laughs> all right, don't be that way, man. Don't be that way. Listen, all right? And if it's not a good time to listen, say, I want to listen to you. I've got this thing going. Can I, can I finish this and let's sit down and I want to listen to you, all right? All right, so um, let me give you just a a few more here. Ask questions. I don't know if you can write all this down, but ask questions in such a way that don't convict her of guilt, but assume that she has the best intentions. That's a way to honor your wife. Okay? Obviously, I've been guilty of this in, in, uh, in my marriage, but let me give you an example here. Don't ask a question like, did you get my clothes from the dry cleaners today like I asked you to? But ask it in this way. I know you were busy today. Did you happen to have time to grab my clothes at the cleaners? I, you know, you're, a, you're a mom. You're teaching. You're caring for others. You have people over at the house. Okay. If I ask the question the first way, I'm saying I'm the center of our universe. If I ask it the second way, I'm honoring her for all the various roles that God has given to her. All right? And if she didn't, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. All right, and let me give you one more. Act like a gentleman and treat her like a lady. I mean, open her car door for crying out loud. Give give her your coat. Hey, I just saw saw a gentleman doing that very thing, walking into the building when it was raining, making sure that his lady came into church properly and was being protected. That's exactly the kind of thing that a man should do to honor his wife. All right? It lets her know how special she is to you. All right, so live with her, men. Understand her and honor her. We could, we could probably list a hundred other things, uh, ways in which we are to honor her, and I would encourage you, hey, try to do that sometime during the holidays. You know, 25 ways I can honor my wife in 2014 and how I'm going to be resolved to do it. Okay, your third, third thing you need to know, men, is you need to know your wife. Know your wife. He says, as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. All right? So he's basically saying, number one, she's the weaker vessel. She's the weaker vessel. Literally, the word weaker here means without strength. Without strength. Without physical power. Peter's statement is not a derogatory statement. He is not denigrating or in any way implying that a woman is inferior to man. Okay, that that has to be stated clearly. It has to be stated firmly. All right? 
He's just saying that a woman is generally weaker than a man physically. All right? She is a less imposing, less forceful, less physically strong individual generally than a man is. The thing that I find most interesting in that phrase is the word vessel. I don't know what the... Does anybody have another version? Does every version say vessel there? The weaker what? Vessel? Yeah, we don't normally use the word vessel, but this actually can be traced all the way back to Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2, all right? The imagery here is of human beings being used as instruments in the Redeemer's hand. That's what you and I are. Men and women are created by God for the glory of God to be used toward His ends and toward His purposes. And so when Peter says, hey, you know, she, she is a weaker vessel, what he's saying is she's a weaker instrument in the hands of God. She's a weaker instrument to be used for the glory of God. She's the weaker instrument that is to be used together in the marriage for His glory. In other words, there's purpose there. There's design, Okay. Men, you are a vessel. You're to be used as an instrument to love her and care for her and to provide for her and comfort her. She is also to be used by God to love you, submit to you, bring, bring honor and respect to you, and y'all collectively working in that way are magnifying the worth and the glory of God as you picture the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? So she is the weaker vessel. All right? Now, because your wife is the weaker vessel, you're called to be the sacrificial provider and protector of your wife. We read Ephesians 5. Um, Colossians 3.19, Husbands, love your wives. Don't be embittered toward them. And, and we all are aware of 1 Timothy 5.8 that if anyone does not provide for his family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Okay? So you are to provide for your wife. Now, I think one of the trump cards that men often pull out and they don't normally say it verbally they don't they don't voice it but they essentially let it be known i'm bigger i'm stronger i have more force than you i'm better than you and that's often lorded over the wife it's that trump card that's never really played but but both both individuals knows that it's there okay god would say how dare you in any way imply that you use that card? Because Jesus was the same way. He's bigger. He's stronger. He can certainly be more forceful. Read the book of Revelation and you'll find that. But did he come and impose his force? Did he come and impose his authoritarian will and his power? No, he came and he emptied himself of all glory. He sacrificed himself. He loved us. He served us. And because of His strength, because of His power, Him coming underneath, He is exemplifying the infinite, unconditional grace, mercy, and love of God such that God would say to any man, if you use your strength to dominate your wife, how dare you? How dare you do that? Follow the example of my Son, your Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, She's also a co-heir of the grace of life. Look at the phrase. She's a co-heir of the grace of life. She participates in the same blessings, the same legacy, the same inheritance. All right? Your wife is a co-heir of the grace of human life, no doubt about it. All right? Both of you have been blessed with life. God has created you 
He loves you. He's moving you along. But that's not precisely what Peter's talking about here. He's talking about the grace of eternal life, the gift of eternal life here. All right? If your wife is a believer, all right, she participates in all the blessings and honors and inheritances and legacies and future that you have. Don't dare think that you have a higher place in the kingdom of God because of your gender. All right? Your wife believes in the same Savior. She's redeemed by the same ransom. She lives by the same grace. She looks forward to the same kingdom. And when you recognize that reality, the idea, the idea of being a tyrant or a dictator or some um, harsh authority should dissipate, disappear in your life. Now, I want to give you one other statement about her, about your wife, that's not like in the text. It doesn't say it explicitly. But I just want to say she's your wife and nobody else's. All right? So she's a weaker vessel. She is a co-heir of the grace of life, and she's your wife. Nobody else's wife. And so you've got to love her and care for her and treasure her and cherish her in such a way that shows how Jesus loves and cherishes and cares for his bride, the church of Jesus Christ. Because it's nobody else's job and responsibility and privilege and honor than it is yours. So if your wife doesn't get honored by you and loved by you and cared for by you, who's, who's going to do it? God has specifically given you that role to do it. And so you are called to do it. And so let's just stop for just a second before we finish this morning. We have one more, one more thing. But let's just meditate on Jesus. Let's, let's meditate on his husbandry. All right? Men, Jesus has loved you fully. All right, when, when he went to the cross, all right, he purchased all of your sins. He didn't leave any for you to purchase, any for you to take on. When, when he was beaten and scourged and ultimately put up on the cross, all right, his heart was literally melting. But if you were to look at his heart of hearts, what we'd have seen would have been your name would have been written on his heart. He is purchasing your soul. He is, he is ransoming you. And I guess I just want to say this, man. You need to love your wife in such a way that if we were to pull back and see your heart, your wife's name would be engraved on your heart. That's how close she is because you love her fully. You love her unconditionally. You love her infinitely as much as you possibly can. And then selflessly. I, man, I, I, uh, I was reading the Passion account in Mark 14, 15, and 16 this morning. And I don't know if you've ever just asked the question when you read that section, whether it be in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, Jesus, show me how much you love me. Show me how much you love me in this passage. You will be blown away when you read the Gospels like that. And that's exactly how you are to love your wife. Selflessly, sacrificially, all the way to the end. All right? So that just as Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, and I know it's something very different is happening, when he says it is finished, it truly is finished, when, when your days are over on this life, with your wife, whether she dies or you, you can say, it is finished. I have loved her to the full. 
I have sacrificed myself for her. I've been generous toward her. I have honored her. I have cared for her. I have provided for her. I've done everything within the power of Christ to mirror Jesus' love for myself. That's what you are called to do. Finally, men, you need to know your God. Know your God. Now, I do want to say this one thing. In my reading this morning in Mark, was it Mark 14? It was Mark 14, 32. I don't know if this has ever happened to you guys, but have you ever been reading Scripture? You're just reading along, and you're, you're, you're paying attention, you're wanting to be spoken to, but then a verse stops you in your tracks. You ever had a verse just stop you in your tracks before? This verse stopped me in my tracks this morning because it says that Jesus told him to sit down and he said, I've got to pray. Jesus had to pray. That, may, that just may not sound profound at all to you, but I'm sitting here thinking this morning, God the Son had to pray. He, he, he had something to do. He had a will to submit to. He had a way to follow. He, th there was a path that he had to walk down to magnify God, and in order to do so, he had to pray. God just showed me, if my son, who is equal to me, had to pray, Ryan, how much more do you need to pray? How much more do you need to go to the Lord and seek his guidance? How much more do you, in your marriage do you need to seek to be a loving husband and, and uh, utilize my power to do so? How much more do you need to pray for your wife and ask for her encouragement and her honor and, and, and her esteem in your marriage? All right? Now, now, I say here, let's go back to the point, know your God. I say you've got to know your God because I think that this statement says as much about God as it does about prayer. Are you tracking with me on that thought? It says as much about God as it does about prayer. Okay? God has a heart to honor and protect and love and cherish and treasure women. He does. Just read the Bible. Read Genesis through, through Revelation. All right. God protected Sarah in the midst of Abraham's foolishness. God honored Hannah as she committed herself and her life to him. He provided for Naomi and Ruth. We've been reading about it on Thursday nights. He provided for them in a way that it looked like there would be absolutely no provision available. All right. He provided for Naomi, uh, I mean, for Esther in the midst of danger. He honored Elizabeth and Mary, who were the mother of John the Baptist and the mother of Jesus. And then he nurtured Mary and Martha along the way when they were struggling emotionally and in conflict practically and relationally. All right. So this is the deal, y'all. God will not honor a man who will not honor his wife. God will not bless a man who will not bless his wife. God will not listen to a man who will not love his wife. Because God places a premium of a husband's love for his wife. Um, God created man and woman. God created marriage. God created men's roles. God created women's roles. And so when he sees a man who rebels against his role and wants independence and autonomy and decides to be an authoritarian 
or a passive man who lets his wife do everything, he looks down on that man and says, buddy, I love you, I care for you, but there is no way in the world I'm going to bless your selfishness or I'm going to bless your dictatorship or I'm going to bless your passivity, right? This word hindered, it means literally to be cut down, to struck, struck down, to be blocked, all right? I don't think there's a more severe warning in the New Testament than this one, all right? You don't love your wife, you don't honor her, you don't treasure, treasure her, you don't care for her, God's saying, I'm not going to listen to you. Your, your prayers aren't going to reach all the way to me. And so Peter's saying, God only hears the prayers of men who respect the treasure that they have been given. So I want to I just uh, finish this morning by asking you men some questions. All right? And I uh, hope you'll be reflective personally and that you'll carry, you'll carry this message, all right? You need, to, you need to know your identity. You need to know your responsibility. You need to know your wife. You need to know your God. And I want you to reflect on it this week. I want you to ruminate on it. And I want you to ask yourself some, some difficult questions. All right, the first question I want to ask is, how often do you sit down with your wife? Just you and her. How often do you sit down together? How often do you look one another in the eyes? Not as you pass one another in the hall or in the garage as you're getting into your respective cars, but how often do you sit down, make eye contact, talk with her, ask her questions, ask her how you can pray for her, love her? How often do you show physical affection for her? How often do you honor your wife? All right. Next question. Um, does your love for your wife weaken? W-E-A-K-E-N. Does your love for your wife weaken when she lets you down? When she's not being who you think she ought to be, do you pull back in your love for her and in your honor of her and you let her know about that? I will tell you, if you do, you are not mirroring the love of Jesus. What if Jesus retreated in his love and honor of us when we weren't the kind of people that he's called us to be. That'd be a pretty rough relationship with a Savior, wouldn't it? But we're called to love even when they're not who we think they should be being. And then, last question. Do you love your wife relentlessly and unconditionally? Relentlessly and unconditionally. Um, and I say that because if you think about it is there something that your wife could do or say that you'd say you know what if she does that I'm out of here I'm done with her I'm finished All right. let me tell you if you've got that in your mind you don't have the love of Jesus alright the love of Jesus is a love to the fullest the love of Jesus is saying, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to care, I'm going to, I'm going to, have, submission, uh, I'm going to have mutual submission, but also a sense of servant leadership, and I'm going to care for her when she sins against me, I'm going to care for her when she's struggling, I'm going to care for her when she is emotionally down, I'm going to care for her when she's making accusations against me, I'm going to care for her when she, when she may be in open and outright sin, because this is the love of Jesus for me, and I'm going to express it to her. So, men, if your marriage is failing, 
if your marriage is struggling, my observation and my experience is that it's probably failing for one primary reason. You have not learned to love your wife the way that Jesus loves you. Because it is rare. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But it is rare to see a woman, specifically a Christian woman, who rejects and rebels against loving, generous, honoring leadership to a woman. Many times a wife rejects and rebels a man because he is either authoritarian or he is passive and he doesn't lead and love the way that the Savior does. And so, men, I call you this morning to be like Christ, to love your wife, and to mirror the Savior who came and bled and died and rose from the grave on your behalf. There, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, all right? And sinners plunge beneath that flood, all right, so that we can receive forgiveness that that flood brings, all right? This is what I know, men. This is what I know. I know you are a failure. I know you fail at the, the standard and the command and the instructions that Peter has given in chapter 3, verse 7. The great news is this, is that you have a Savior who is not a failure. You have a Redeemer who is not a failure. And what we can do is we can run to Him and we can say, take my failure, take my problems, take my pride, take my arrogance, take my passivity, t take um, all that I am that is in some way injurious to my wife. Forgive me. Reconcile me to yourself. Reconcile me to my wife. And then fuel me by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel to be the husband that you've called me to be. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching the gospel at Pentecost. And he preaches about the glorious Savior. He preaches this powerful gospel. And he then accuses the people who are in the crowd of condemning Jesus and belittling him. And then all the way to the cross, killing him, murdering him. And apparently there's a pause at some point because the people say, what should we do? We understand this. We, we, we're feeling guilt. We, we have this shame over us. What should we do, Peter? And Peter says, repent, all of you, for the remission of your sins. Right? Be liberated. You understand you're guilty. Turn away from th that guilt. Turn away from it and run to Christ and trust in Him. Men, it would be a shame if you listened to Peter's word to you this morning and for you to not make any decision for you not to respond in any way and so right now I want to call you to respond I want to call you to turn from your sin turn from your authoritarianism turn from your passivity and turn to Christ trust in him and allow how he washes you with the word to wash you over and then to, to carry that over in your loving leadership to your wife. And I want to give you the opportunity right now, men, to respond publicly. How does God want you to respond to this message?